Hey, what's going on? This is Mariah Tanika from the band Flush, and you're watching Guitar Tales with Dave Cullen. Mariah Formica, two-time guest of Guitar Tales. Thank you so much for that bumper. Uh, what, what a great introduction. What a meteoric rise we've gotten to watch, uh, not even from afar, but nearby with the great brand Plush, Mariah Formica. And welcome to another edition of Guitar Tales. As we do every week, we want to thank our sponsor, uh, Charles Lorita of Mischief Studios. They do such great stuff. If you need your guitar fixed, if you need to buy a guitar, if you want to record the next great American pop song or rock song or otherwise, give Charles a call. He's a great guy, great musician, and a friend of the show. And tonight we have Colossal Street Jam. We have Gene Potts and Sal Mara who are good enough to join us tonight. I wonder if we could squeeze it all into one show because they have amazing stuff going on. They're a fantastic band. And Scott, if you could slide them in right now. <laughs> There What's happening? Go. Hey, how you doing? Good, man. Good. Good to be with you. Oh, absolutely. We are so happy to have you guys on the show. And, and what's really cool about this, as uh, our Guitar Tales community, it doesn't get bigger. It gets smaller. And I, I mean that because everyone knows everyone else in this great world of musicianship. Um, we had Don Jameson on last night, and you guys... Just saw him, or one of you just yes. saw him. And he, he, actually he introduced us. He actually <clears throat> at the uh, Glenn Hughes show we did down at the Landis Theater last month. He actually introduced us before we went on before Glenn Hughes, which was great. And then he, of course, yeah. introduced Glenn Hughes too. But I mean, we felt pretty honored that he did. He was like, "Hey, you guys mind?" I'm like, "Uh, no." <laughs> right, 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 right. And then and he, and two days later, I got to see Glenn Hughes again at the Palladium in Times Square, and Don was there as well. And oh, then uh, I got to see him last night, his comedy special at McSorley's, and it was awesome. He was great. He was fantastic. Oh, that, you know, and that's, it, you know, and you were telling us sort of in the pre-interview phase, you were expecting him to be good, if not better, but he turned out to be just straight up great. Oh yeah, it was it was a great show. I knew it was going to be funny, but the show was long, and he just kept going, and he had the place <laughs> in stitches. It was amazing. That's great, and you know, and that's a show where he had to bring it. Because oh yeah, he, without a he, doubt. Yeah. He was recording that show. I mean, that's an album he's creating from last night's show, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you'll see my big fat head on the... Uh... <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> that's good stuff. And, and, and you know, I could pro I won't do it now, but I could probably name 10 people we've had on the show, and they're probably friends with you guys. Yep. Because, and they, you know, they could be people from this country, from other countries, from the East Coast, from the West Coast. But the Guitar Tales world keeps, it keeps shrinking in this really nice way. And and, That's and the I, one real good thing about what's going on with the, you know, with all the technology is that, you know, I'm, I'm collect, I'm connecting to some of my like idols. Yeah. Respond to you, you know. You think, oh, they're not going to respond, and they respond to you, you know. And it makes, like you said, it's really a smaller world now. You can, I might actually meet Jimmy Page one day, like I've been wanting to for the past. <laughs> oh my God! Could you, could you imagine? Oh, oh. Hey, I already got to meet Mark I already got to meet my idol, so yeah. just by playing music. Wow, that's amazing. That really is. Of all the shows we've we've done, yeah, I want to be Pete Townsend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had someone who allegedly went to his house and got him to sign a T-shirt for me, and she and I don't chat anymore. So, <laughs> ah, you lost so your T-shirt. <laughs> I never got my T-shirt. I don't know if it was a true story or not, but I was told that. But you know, of all the shows we've done. I was nervous for the Steve Conti show because he he went to high school with Scott and I. I was completely intimidated. Oh, so you guys are Madawan. We're Madawan guys. I trained five years with his mother. Did yeah. you really? I trained Rosemary, Rosemary, right? Five years, yeah. yeah. She's a singer, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Jazz singer. Jazz amazing singer, really teacher, good. Amazing jazz singer, yeah. yeah but I, was, I started when I was 13. That's I think, but I don't know. I think in high school, I was in a very large jam with John, 
not with him, but he sort of was there. So yeah. I could sort of, I could sort of say that, you know, I'm a shitty guitar player. They're just consummate musicians of that whole family. Oh man. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. All of them. And I was completely intimidated and he was as nice as could be. Oh, yeah, nice. As and, yeah. and we had, yeah, we had a really great interview. So it was a lot of fun. So that's what I mean. Like I could, you know, we can name 10 others, but let's talk about you guys. Okay. So let's, let's, all right, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. All right. I want you to jointly come up with the top five coolest things that are going on with the Colossal Street Jam right now. Yeah, Gene, you fire first. All right, for the first time in our lives, we actually have a record deal. Uh, Congratulations. Whatever that, whatever that means at this point as a record deal, but we have an indie deal with a company called Fret Bar Records out of Nashville. And uh, they're re-releasing our single and our album November 3rd. Wow. Um, on our own March 1st. And um, the owner of the label fell in love with it through our publicity manager. And um, so that's number one. I think that's number one on the list. For sure. I love that. And you know what? The fact that you have people, right? That, that speaks volumes about the quality of the work you guys are doing because no one attaches themselves to any kind of effort unless what, no. what the effort is, is something noteworthy and good and worthy of attachment, right? Yeah. And I think really, you know, we've been together, Sound and I've been together a long time, and Tony, our bass player as well. And then Eric and Dave joined us about seven, eight years ago. Um, we put out a lot of music over the years. This is definitely by far, I mean, I'm sure we've said it about other stuff that we've done, but by far, this is the best thing we've ever done. I feel yeah. the best vocals, I, I, Sal's best songwriting and guitar playing, Eric's playing, Tony's playing. I mean, it just... Everybody, everybody. It's just really, we feel like we have songs, like really good songs that are radio friendly, but yet hold true to what we believe in as being an edgier kind of like... Uh, 70s, 70s yeah, like a rock, like a grand funk Steppenwolf. Yeah. Like, well, well, look, the 70s... I, I just sent an email to one of my kids or a text. I don't know what they don't, kids don't do email, but I, I said the best songwriting is the seventies. Yeah. You know, you know, I, there was still a foot. There was still a foot. It was the last piece of the late fifties, early sixties. It was still kind of running through the backbone of the music in the seventies, but it, yeah. it, 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 they didn't, I think what happened, like the half of the eighties tried to do it. Yep. 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 Off, I think technology really kind of sent people like a dog to the left, and yeah, um, they lost a lot of what it means to go into a garage with a bunch of guys or girls. Yep, 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 create something. Hey, cut it out, you. I got <laughs> hey, it's not my dog, dog this time. <laughs> it's, all, it's always my dog. Really, uh, it doesn't, yeah, it's all part of the. We had a show. Is the guitar in here? Wait, hang on, I want to show you guys. No, it's in, it's in a different room. We we had Scott. Who who did we have on? We had Dave Gellis, I think. Uh, you guys know Dave? I don't think so. Blood, sweat, and tears. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, uh, yeah. And you know, and I'm conducting an interview, and shockingly, my dog is not barking, and I have my guitar on a stand right next to me, and he's being really quiet, but I can feel him down here. <laughs> and I look, and three out of the four volume pots of my guitar are gone. Oh man. And he must, and he must have shot them out. He ate oh, in the middle of a show, and I showed it to Dave, and we made a bit out of it. But it really happened. So dogs are all wow. good. And he yeah. can also loop back into Blood, Sweat, and Tears because Steve Conti and John Conti played in Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yeah. I did not know that. Yes, for a little while they did. Like, yeah, one for a short period of time. Wow, that, that's interesting stuff. And that, yeah, the, the world just gets smaller. So yep. with you guys, a thought we, we spent with, with young people and with people our age, which means young also, I suppose, um, talking about creativity. So two things I'm putting together for you guys that I really like is that, so you get your first record deal and best music you've ever put out. And I wonder if living life, getting your ass kicked by life, having beautiful things happen to you in life, mm -hmm. but because it's your first record deal, you have the benefit of wisdom yeah. The benefit of increasing skill. But here's the thing. You haven't gone soft. And, and when we see, you know, like, I, you know, I, I could throw out a non-hard rock person. I think Elton John's done in terms of. Oh, my really God. Good, Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the really great stuff. I mean, I have five of his albums in my house. Right. But in terms of putting out really good music, 
you know, like Captain Fantastic level stuff. He's been yeah. done forever. You get a little soft. But for you guys, you keep getting better and better and better. But you haven't gotten soft because you didn't get soft from the career. Yeah. And I wonder if that's a recipe for something truly amazing for that. That's a, like a, a perfect storm kind of thing. It is. I hope so in that way is that, you know, the, the things that probably upset us when we were young. Yeah. Um, aren't even in the picture anymore. And right. I think, and like you said, the creativity, you know, we're starting to feel like dinosaurs these days um, because, uh, you know, every most music today is created in the studio. Okay. And, you know, I honestly, I just, you know, you know, these guys going out with these, with no amps on stage and going through these like Kemper machines and this, I'm thinking to myself, man, if I don't hear the wind hitting the back of my legs when I'm playing in front of my amp, right. you know, it's not going to happen. There's a, there's an aura in rock and roll and it starts with actual instruments and, and, and personalities in a room together or a stage together. It's, yeah. it's you know, we've, we've, there's a lot of band, great bands out there. I'm not going to say there isn't, but I think the mainstream is no longer, allowing for these young bands to be encouraged to get in a garage together and yep. work on songs, not record them with pro tools, go in a room and work them out and work them out. And we still do that. We're That's still 18 great. years old. Every time we get together with our, our instruments, the band we're 18 years old again. And, and except we have the enthusiasm, but we have the wisdom and the patience yeah. and, and, and the yeah. skill set. And oh, you, you, you go Gene. Well, I was going to throw in there is that, you know, as Sal said earlier, um, you know, when we were younger, you're 18, you're, you've got these delusions of grandeur where you want to be a rock star. You want to be on a major record label. You want to tour the world. You want to make money. You want the the fame, the fortune. Um, I think for us, for the last eight years, we've done this for ourselves. Oh, yeah. That's, that's yeah. That we, we went in and said, let's write the best songs we can for ourselves, not necessarily for you know, to be famous. I mean, we're, we're writing albums and, and recording them on our own dime and putting them out on our own dime for us, you know, and hoping yeah. that the people that follow us will continue to follow us by our records. You know, it, it's not, a, unless you're out playing shows, nobody's buying your records. They're buying something off of Spotify. You get three cents if you get that. Right, so right, right. we really just did this all. And I don't know why I covered my mouth while I'm talking, but um, yeah, we did this for ourselves. And then this, this, this band became a family. The five yeah. of us, we do everything together. Sal had cancer. I had cancer. We we stuck together. All of us fought together, not just wow. you know, one guy, you know, is off doing his own thing. And the four of us are, you know, still rehearsing. No, we we stuck by each other and yeah. we, we just continue to work and work. And while Sal was sick, I was in the studio doing stuff, you know, to get the record <laughs> ready. When I was sick, the guys were still trying to push things forward. And that's. <laughs> That's the beauty of this band is that we're doing it for us. That, that, that is so huge. And, and there's no way that the authenticity of that effort won't shine through. You know, I think it's, I hope, the best, it's the best music we've ever done. I think it's the best vocals I've ever done. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. I, we just, we have a great engineer. His name is Tony Lewis. He okay. wouldn't let us, he wouldn't let anything go. I must oh, yeah. Been, on, 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 say the song, No Way to Live, which is the single. On that song, I probably did those vocals a hundred times. And he was just wow. like, keep going, keep going. I know there's better in you. And I was like, I think I got what I want. Nope, keep going. And that's, we just kept driving forward. It's like a football coach. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. like, he's tough. He's tough. But you know what? He's a great producer. And it's why our album is what it is. And he's a yeah. big part of it. Yeah. Wow. Now, now let's, let's talk about the songwriting process. Um, does some, one person do the lyrics and someone else? Do, do... It's no, it's, it, it, it ends up happening. This, I, 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 a lot of times I'll just come up with some ideas for songs, you know, I never finish them. I, you know, I, I've never been the guy who wants to come in and say, this is, these are my songs. No, because the thing is, if everyone doesn't have a footprint or a handprint in the song, they're not going to do great on it. I really yeah, believe that, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, and because we're older, listen, it, it needs to be that way. So a lot of times I'm, I'll come in with an idea, but I'll get to a point. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave it here. I want to see what Gene will do to it. I want to see what Eric's going to do to it. And very few, I think there's probably under five songs in the whole time we've been together that actually came in with, the, with songs that were almost complete. I was never that person. 
I mean, I probably could, but I, I don't feel that you can really get the best out of, a, of an ensemble without allowing them to each put something in there. And we're really good at that. That's why I feel we'll never run out of material. This band will never run. I have, I have drawers full of riffs and, and just, oh, this would be a great chorus somewhere. And then I just put it away. And bringing it into the guys, I think we're getting to that point again where I think we're going to have to start writing again because the drawers, having, I'm having a hard time closing the drawer now because of all the excitement of what's going on. I'm literally writing a riff every other day and, and they're almost becoming ideas for songs within a day or two. And I'm like, all right, do I take it and run now or do we, or do I have to, or do I hold it back? You know, I keep hearing Prince in the back saying, no, you got to get it down because there's another song tomorrow and then another one on Wednesday. And, you know, I understand that part of it to kind of, you know, work it. But the process with this band really, most of the time I'll just throw something in and by the time the band grabs it, like a bunch of hyenas, tearing at it it becomes colossal street jam and it's a it's worked up till now so i'm hoping yeah it sounds like it yeah he brings in the riffs and they're always great and then we just build it's we just build off it and it's all he's got like he said he's got tons of them there's always something new and um it's exciting i mean for everybody to have their own part and sal writes lyrics too writes great lyrics write great melodies and that's a big thing for me too is that he hands me some stuff and says this is what i hear and then I base what I think exactly. And then, you know, there's songs that he comes in and he'll have like two lines written and say, this is what I feel. And then we write around it where I have a song written and you know, some lyrics that I'll write. So it's, it's great. And then we have great arrangers in the band. When you have a guy like Dave Halpern, who's been a session player forever, uh, he's a great drummer, one of the best. And he just comes in and, and we just arrange together. It's really great. Yeah, that's really fantastic. And, you know, I like the fact that it's egalitarian. You know, I think that that has to do a lot for every aspect of, of what you guys do. And I'm, I'm trying to think, I think it might have been Genesis um, always shared songwriting credits with each other. Like, oh, yeah. Did, you know, am I right? It was Genesis. They, and just, they did. Oh, you too. Still does it. Oh, you too. Van Halen did it up until uh, Diver Down. Oh, really? And then David Lee Roth turned to the uh, Van Halen brothers and said, you know, Michael doesn't really come up with a lot. We should be giving him publishing. And, you know, being you can see how Michael Anthony's the coolest guy. So late back. He's, he's the best person in the band. He yeah. really is. And they approached yeah. him. You know what he said? Whatever. I was reading the book. He lost between Diver Down and the end of 84 album and tour. He probably lost anywhere from 25 to $30 million of a cut that they wow. ended up splitting. And when Sammy joined, he got it back because Sammy said, no, 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 no. Because in Montrose, when he was back there with, with Ronnie Montrose, yep. they split everything. Even though on the album it might say, you know, Montrose this or H Hagar, that, they split publishing four ways. I like and that. You got to do, listen, what, at this point in our lives, we all, we've already worked a lifetime. So, I, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine one of us sitting home in a giant house while the other guys are living in, in little one bedroom. You know what I'm saying? It's just, yeah, it just, and, and what are we doing it for? Right. What are we doing in any profession? You know, I'm a lawyer by day, you know, that's what I do. Um, and, and I love the people I litigate against. Um, I love the people I litigate with. I love the people I work with. And, and if, and if you have, an environment that's internally competitive. What are you doing it for? Where's the joy? You know, then you're at each yeah. other's throats all the time. And what's that? What, you know, what are you doing? You're not going to make great music. You're no, not you're not going to no. make great music. And, and you will, you will disincentivize people to kind of give it their best. If, hey, this is my song. It's mine. I don't like yeah. what you're doing on bass. Well, if it's our song, we all lift each other. You know, That's rising right. tide raises all ships, as they say. Yeah. So I, I like that a lot. It has yeah. to be that way. I, I've only known it that way. I mean, since I was, I started, started playing guitar at 14, but by the time I was about 15, I was already carrying my little PV amp and my little Stratocaster to friends' yeah. houses that were a couple years older than me. And they broke me in, you know. They, what, what kind of PV? Huh? What kind of PV? I had the PV. It was, it was, oh God, what, what was the name of it? It was small. It was a little. It was a, a one ten. A one ten. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight, but it was nasty. 
You know, it wasn't until I finally got a tube when I was like 16. I go, oh my God, listen to the difference of the tube amp, you know? And then from that point on, it's been tubes, obviously. But um, yeah. some of the older solid states were actually pretty good. They were. There were there were some cool ones. Yeah. I, I had was a, loud. The PVs were great. I had a Sun 50-watt solid state, and I upgraded the speaker to either an Eminence or an EV. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not really a gig guy, but I did once play at an outdoor festival in front of like a thousand people, and we couldn't mic my amp because it was, too, it was just so loud. We went without a mic. My Is level that... fifty. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you're, going, that's, you're, that's, you're going into bad territory there. Yeah, uh, I'm like, you know, like, oh, you could turn a guitar. Then I'm thinking to myself, Hendrix would lose. He would his body be flipping right now if he's like this poor guitar player is getting told to turn down with a forty watt Fender one twelve. You know, yeah. it's just, it cracks me up. I'm like, oh, it must have been so loud sitting in the first five rows listening to Jimi Hendrix live. Oh, must, can you even imagine? Must have been unbelievable. It literally must have been like standing at the airport in front of a, a small plane and it's just charging its engines. It had to feel that way because yeah, you just the sheer volume of his playing is it's just unbelievable, man. In, in the early, was he, I forget. When he, in the studio, was he Marshall or Son? I thought he was Son. He used Son on some stuff. I think on Axis, Boldest Love, he used Son. And then he actually used some combo amps He uh, on a few songs. I think uh, Burning of the Midnight Lamp, I think he played on like a twin. And he put like really? a flange on or so Yeah, he was just doing. But but I he, he moved around a little bit. I think, I know live it was always Marshall's. I mean. Right, right, and right. He, he was just, I mean, it's so funny. Look at some of those clips. And he's got three full two stacks on one side. And it's not like the guys today, half of them are empty. You know, they go out and mic yeah. two of them together. These were full. These were working. And imagine the poor sound guys then. They didn't have any equipment no. to, comp, to you know, to compress anything. To no, to no. And he got his feedback from the volume and having the guitar face the speakers to let right. the air push the, the strings. And, the, you know, I can create that. Yeah, man. That's why I, can, I have to have that feeling. I have yeah. to be able to turn my guitar and feel the guitar changing because of the position in front of the amplifier. Yeah. Now, what do you? So, what's your what's your what's your main guitar? What's your your amp? What do you use? The amp. Well, my main guitar. I, I like to play around, but my main guitar is my '76 Blonde Deluxe Les Paul that I've had. I've had now for 38 years. Wow. Yeah, I bought it when I was 15. Holy um, shit. When I was 15, so I've had it almost 40 years now. Wait yeah. a minute. What 15-year-old could afford a Les Paul? What, what's the story behind roots, that? Two paper roots, and I did whatever I could to make money. You know, My parents wow. didn't have a lot of money, so they were, I, I bought it. That's impressive. And I've still got it. And I got to tell you, this thing weighs, it's, I think it's about 11 pounds. It, okay. it, the wood is so amazing on this guitar. And you know, everyone's like, oh, the new Les Pauls. I'm like, Dudes, the new Les Pauls are like press board. This thing, yeah, this yeah. The wood on this guitar, on this body is well over a hundred years old, no doubt, because nothing that dense is young. It's yeah, it's, that's right, that's right. It's really dense wood, and I, you know, I changed the pickups. I think when I bought it, it had the Demarzio, the uh, what was the one Ace Freely Super Humbuckers or the Super Distortion. Okay. Or, it had those on it. I was like, mm, you know, and I played for a little while, and then I ended up going over to the regular humbuckers um okay I don't know which one i put it at that time but that's my main guitar but i love my sg as well and i love right. my stratocaster with humbuckers in it oh really oh yeah okay. yeah because i never played it when it had the single coils I, I it sat in the in my house and i'm like you know what why don't i do something that's gonna make me play this thing that and makes I'm sense yeah right right you like that it bucks the hum. It. now the strat sounds like a nasty sg because okay it's, but it plays it's like the, a strat yeah, it plays like a strat, and the slide sounds killer on it. Right. Because I use metal slide. It just sounds so piercing. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, this is great. And it's light. It's it's probably more than half lighter than my Les Paul. My Les Paul is just ridiculous. Yeah. Scott's chiming in. Slide is a lost art. Sal's it is. One the, Sal's one of the best. One of the best slide players around. Tuning. I'm a regular tuning. I don't I – don't, Fuss with tunings like chain. Some guys play open G. Open. Listen, I want the whole fretboard's got to be my playground, and I don't want any. You know, I, like I want to know that if I blindly just put my hand somewhere, I'm going to find the path in there that, that's going to work and sound good. So 
playing slide. Yeah, there's some things I can't reproduce. A lot of Dwayne Allman's uh, things because he would definitely change his tuning. You can't right. get the, the the little grasp on some of the songs, like some of his licks in Statesboro Live. You're not going to get without changing the tune of the guitar. Uh, same as Can't You Hear Me Knocking by the Stones. Without yeah, Keith, guitar, Keith never guitar. had regular tuning, right? And then he would cut strings off. He'd be like, Yeah, he would play yeah, with five strings. I, it's open yeah. G, and I cut the low E off. I'm like, I, I, I guess I. it works because you go back and listen to those records, and that sound on the beginning of Can't You Hear Me Knocking is just epic and it's yeah. it's probably nothing except him playing through a twin and just cranking it and yep, yep. oh man it's just I, I was good at i'm good at imitating it and you'll think that i'm playing it right but it doesn't have the tone yeah no one plays him quite right and what so what is your amp of choice these days um if i'm either using on a lot of the smaller places we play my 20 watt 112 blues junior in the real small places which sounds really? phenomenal oh my okay. god and nice, and then I, I'll, uh, and then in medium places I'll go to the forty watt one twelve, and then if I feel like getting yelled at, I'll bring out the sixty watt two twelve combo amp. That one's really loud. Now, who's the maker of these amps? Are they Fender? Fender? All Fender. Yeah. You're all Fender for now, but I'm, I'm actually now. I used to, I started out with cabinets and heads and Marshalls and all that uh, thirty years ago. But of course, as you start gigging more than hundred and eighty times a year, you start to realize that you don't have a road crew. You don't yeah. have a box truck to carry everything. So you, your equipment gets smaller and smaller yeah. as you get more gigs. Um, we played with Glenn Hughes. He had, the, you know, Soren, great guitar player, Soren Anderson, right. that plays yeah. with Glenn Hughes. He had four 412 cabinets. Wow. And here I am with a 40-watt tweed 112 in front of it. And I do my show, but I'm standing in front of his Marshall. So, you know, if you're in the back, you'd think I'm playing through the Marshall. So we oh, finished, I love it. I love it. Finish the show. The guy comes up to the stage and grabs my arm and he goes, that's really cool. You guys are sharing the amp, the, the marshals. And I go, nah, man. I go, he goes, no. I go, yeah, that was that. Because I don't use a lot of effects either. I, no. I, I, You're a purist. I, I like that. I like to crank the amp. I like to get the guitar and the amp. And then I'll, I'll have my phase 90 if I'm in a Robin Trower mood or a yeah. Hendrix mood. Or I'll hit the Wawa if I want to get like that Michael Schenker, like that really nasty caddy sound. You hit the Wawa and leave it down at the eighty percent, and you know, and I'll do that. But and I have a, a, a one of those um, what the hell's that pedal? I bought one about six months ago. Uh, not a crybaby. You don't mean the simple. No, 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 not a Wawa. It's a, it's a it's a fuzz. What's it? The Centaur. The Centaur. Remember about the early nineties? Uh, the guys in Radiohead were using them. Okay. Uh, they're they're about. I don't know. They, they're probably the size of a Wawa pedal. Anyway, a f friend of mine has an original one. He goes, try this. And I tried it. It's got just three knobs on it. Okay. I leave the tone at 50, the output at 50, and I put the distortion, the drive on maybe 20%, 25%. Okay. So it just, it, it just dirties it up a little bit. Yeah, right? but it's the clarity of the low notes that this pedal does. So okay. I, you find yourself leaving the pedal on a lot and turning your guitar volume down and okay. getting the guitar to sound like you're playing through a clean amplifier, but yet turning your volume to 10 gives it like that fog hat, like that real nasty. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay, this is good. And people are like, dude, it sounds so loud. I'm like, the more pedals you hit, the thinner your guitar sounds. You're, you're compressing everything. That's right? it. Yeah. That's it. And it's, it's terrible. And a lot of guys do it. And, you know, guy says to me, uh, God, what would you do with all those amps? I was like, probably get fired. I said, because, <laughs> you know, you ain't compressing me. The worst thing a sound guy can say to me is, hey, man, I'll handle it in the mix. I'm like, no, 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 no. Tell you what, don't put me in the PA. How does that sound? Yeah, you're I, living your own life. Right? I'm going to do it. I'd rather, I'd rather the people get my amp sound than a guy who's trying to do it through listening. It's just, it's not going to work that way. No, and you know, it's anyway, not you. At that point, it's not you. It's not me, and I'm not going to yeah. be at someone else's mercy ever, ever. Well, what's really hard. good, we're playing <laughs> venues now. We've been playing venues now that Sal can play whatever he, however he wants, and we've got top-notch sound guys, you know, deal yeah. with that. Like yeah. the Landis Theater. Like and they Sony. know Sal. <laughs> they, they, they love it, though. The guy at the Landis goes, dude, you guys, that's a great sound you guys got, and you have minimal gear. You have, yeah. I mean, he's like, I'm looking at you guys. Except for Eric. Well, yeah. Eric's got the 38 Hammond with the – with the uh, Leslie, Leslie speakers and things. Oh, you guys play out with a Leslie? Uh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. 
Yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah, look at it's that. an art to watch him load the thing up and get it on stage. It's incredible. Like it's a million stage. pounds, right? It is. He flips it, like puts a blanket down, flips it on top of a case, then slides it over the stage, flips it back. I'm like, bro, this is amazing. This is like you should see how many he has. He fixes them. He, he oh, has really? a Hammond shop in his house. He has a yeah. Hammond shop. In yeah. his house, in his barn. He built a barn <laughs> and he has a Hammond shop. He's probably got what? What do you think, Sal? Eight or 10 of them in there? Eight or 10. And what he he just buys them. People don't know what they got. They're like, ah, oh, it doesn't work. He's like, okay, no problem. He buys them. So the Hammonds or the Leslies he bought? Both. Or both? both. Really? Yeah, both of the yeah. original uh, synthesizers that were built in the late 30s. Get this. Wow. He's got two keyboards. One's 1938. It's a primitive synthesizer. It's unbelievable. I, I go, bro. Nobody probably has. He goes, they don't. He goes, if I can find a few more parts and get this working, it's probably worth a museum will probably, like a, a piano museum will probably give me $50,000 for it because there probably aren't any. Wow. You know? And he's like, yeah, he's really, uh, we've got some great stories about him fixing uh, Steve Winwood's keyboard. Um, really? Yeah, he was playing at the Count Basie Theater and uh, the uh, staff at the Count Basie knew that Eric knew how to work on Hammond. So, here comes Steve Winwood in the town. This is probably 10 years. It's got to be at least 10 years ago. And right, they, right. they call him and they're like, uh, Eric, listen, uh, we need you over here. Some the Hammond's down, you know, and you're the only one that really could probably even get through it. So he shows up like the doctor with the little box with him. Right, goes right, to, right. House call. He, he, he goes, he goes, he said he goes under and he feels a tap on his shoulder. He turns around. So he's like, hey, and the guy goes, uh, I'm Steve Winwood. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like his head was. He doesn't care. And he goes, you know, Steve's like, you think you could fix it? He goes, I think so. He goes, I got, I got a couple spare motors with me, and I, that's probably what it is. So a half an hour passes, and Eric fixes it. And Steve goes, what do I owe you? And Steve's like, you know, Eric's like, you're Steve Winwood. What do you mean, what do you owe me? <laughs> so Steve, I think Steve gave him like four VIP passes for the night, probably put a few hundred bucks in the envelope, but also gave him his card and said, listen, when I travel the U.S., I don't know anybody that can fix these. I mean, if Eric wanted to pursue that, he'd probably wow. be a millionaire. Oh yeah. Cause think of all the people that travel with the Hammonds now, all, yeah. all your, your jam bands all have Hammond organs. And, yeah. You know, they don't take well to banging around either. He's always, but, nor does the, nor does the Leslie cabinet. I'm sure. Right. Right. You know, you, you got that motor doing its thing, you know, it's crazy. Crap. Yeah. And, and he's, I tell you, Eric, Eric's amazing. It's, he's got a 1938 Hammond, but he also put a MIDI face in it. So he'll really? be playing Hammond, and all of a sudden you hear a Wurlitzer or a clavinet, and you're like, where did that come from? Oh, he's, got a he's got a computer screen on the right-hand yeah, side. It's completely it's mini, crazy. so he can run. Don Airy freaked out. Don, again, he they opened up for his his band that he was in before us. He opened up for a Deep Purple, and Don Airy went over and said, whoa, what do you got going on over here? And, and Eric showed him, and he's like, dude, I've never seen this. A vintage but Yeah, with a, with a, a screen on it that has – all piano settings and and I mean it's amazing. He sounds like a Fender Rhodes right there out of the heaven. You're like, oh my god. Yeah, Glenn Hughes yeah. band. His, when we opened up for them about a month ago, that whole band except for Glenn came over and they were just all over. What the, is it? Like what? The is it? So we're talking about Soren Anderson, the guitar player. He's yeah. awesome. He's great. He really is awesome. What a great guitar player. But a super nice guy. I got to hang out with him a couple days after as well. But he came over to, and he was just having Eric like show him everything. It's, people are amazed. <laughs> it's, by it. It, it's something that you've never seen before. That's yeah, yeah, I, yeah. And, and it's blue sparkle, yeah. and it's blue sparkle, which oh, is really? yeah. yeah. And he's got a goat. He's got a goat inside the uh, inside the spin of Leslie with a blue light. And there's a little goat in there that flies around the thing. <laughs> people love oh, that's it. Hysterical. And he turns yeah. it when he's playing, and he's get he gets going, and he's soloing. He'll turn that thing. He'll turn that thing on its side. Oh yeah. He Keith Emerson's a lot where he leans it way forward and oh, oh yeah. Well, because that's it. it's so subtle because anything you do to the trajectory of the sound coming out of the twirling oh, speaker yeah. will impact upon you know what the audience yeah. and you will hear. Yeah. That's amazing. John Lord, John Lord did that all the time. He would crank his Leslie's through Marshalls and then he would he would bang that keyboard down and you'd hear the oh my god, it was like a whole other instrument. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. And, and it's such a world beyond modeling and MIDI and all that. Like I know I love that he incorporates MIDI, but I mean, the, the, the quantity, uh, I mean, you, you need a physicist in here to help us figure it out. 
But the quantity of variations, if you've got your Leslie cabinet like this, and you do that. Oh, yeah, it's a whole other sound. It's a whole other sound, and and you've probably changed 500,000 variables. Yeah. Because the way the sound will be pushed out of a moving speaker, you know, and and if you go three degrees over, I I can't even imagine. I know. I never got to see the uh, the real wizards, you know. I never I never got to see Keith Emerson, which breaks my heart because I love Emerson Lake and Palmer songs, and I love just the approach. I mean, it, it's just yeah. he must have been unbelievable to see it in in concert, you know, in the heyday, the mid seventies when those guys were oh yeah soccer stadiums with three guys. and everything. But, yeah, I know, I, and you see all the wires. You want, you know what? Yeah. And he always had a bottle of like wine or champagne on his hem. And, and I'm thinking, with all these knobs, you're like, it looks like he's like a naval ship operator, like in yeah. there. And, and all these sounds coming out. And you're like, you know, it's it just like you said, it's part of the show, too, to watch yeah. this guy inside of a, a cubicle of keyboards. And it's you see insane. an arm coming up yeah. and moving plugs. And you're like, wow, how did they do this? And, you know, the PA systems then were good, but. They weren't like they didn't have innies in, in, in their ear. They didn't have any of that stuff back then. How you know? I don't know how you depend on a mon- on a stage monitor right, in a yeah. stadium. I mean, think about the delay when you go to a concert. Oh yeah, so how it's unbelievable. Walk fifty yards out. It, there's got to be a delay on on the. There's got to be a. Well, there has to be a delay. And and how do you figure out the right sound because what you're hearing is not approximating what your audience is hearing with with, with a primitive monitor system but that that that, that's amazing well now with the inner they're getting now they're getting it all exactly as they're hearing it but how did they do it you know you look at the still life tour when those guys went out in 81 the stage setup was enormous the sides went out like 75 yards around and you're like there's no way that charlie's drums were they were they were bouncing there's no way yeah and you listen to those live recordings and god damn it they sound great the bands they do they do (laughs) and and that's why every so often you know either through Sirius or i'll just have apple music do it i'll just put on a 70s station and just you know and 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 it will just it, it will shock me because there'll be those songs we know but we forgot we knew oh yeah i do that all the time all yeah, right. and, and the quality it's the quality of the lyrics, it's the quality of the vocals, and, and what also strikes me is the quality of the recordings. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we can have this sort of 2023 ivory tower attitude. Well, you know, we have digital this and digital. I'm talking I'm right now, I'm looking at a digital camera, I'm, you know, talking right. into the mic and I've got the laptop and all that shit in front of me. But they whatever they did in those studios coming out of you know, the instruments and the Leslie's <laughs> and the Hammonds, tight drums, gorgeous guitar sounds, great vocals, great harmonies. And, and there and there was such an appreciation for the craft of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and the other strange thing, you know, most people consume their music through this shitty speaker. I know. I know. <laughs> you know, it's not crazy. Think yeah. about the big ones we had when we were kids. I mean, yeah. I had these giant speakers in my. I mean, I'm thinking about. You know what? That's why we play the way we play because I yeah. I had the chance to, to do that. And you know, the other thing with the, with that '70s music, you know, especially bands like Steely Dan, how oh they were able God. to get their the clarity of their recordings for 1975 is unbelievable. Yep. Another album is Al Al Stewart's Year of the Cat album is so crystal clear. It's Alan Parsons, of course, who's behind that. But you hear it and you're like, you know what? This sounds like it was recorded digitally and this is all analog. It's like digital with warmth, which is the amazing thing. I wish, I hope to God we get a little bit of success where we can can build our own analog studio because I'm a fan fan of it. Uh, You know, look, that's what Dave Grohl's doing now. He bought that last what was it a Nev or Neve system? He bought okay. the last remaining working board. There's only four in the world, I believe. Joey DeMeo has one in uh, at Shorefire in Long Branch. Okay. Um, there's only about four or five of them left, and he got his from Phil Collins. Um, he had one, but these these boards, the separation on two inch reel is like you said, it's it's almost a warm digital. 
Because it's going to bleed just enough. Into just each other, enough. yes. That's yeah, what yeah. Get. They yeah. know that David Gilmore had a half-empty beer on the cabinet when they were recording his guitar part. That rattling made something sound different. And yeah. that's what people don't get. Digital, you're losing all the grace breath in the music. There's Ooh. things that run. Could be a, a guy's keychain sitting on the table next to the board. Could yeah. be anything that's influencing that sound to be a little bit different. And you don't get that anymore, you know. No, and, he, and and the other thing that that I think we've talked about on the show too. I think we talked about it with Conti, is that I, to me anyway, we need air. We need the atmosphere involved. Yeah. Something ha- you need a speaker pushing air, and then the microphone picking up the air that is pushed. That's and right. because things happen that I don't understand, um, but but things happen. When when the sound finds it, or, or your vocals find it, they go into the microphone, out right. out of a PA, and then into a mic. If that's the right, way you're recording, right. and then it travels through the air, and it, it just sort of does a little something. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's and you know what? No, I I've, I'm happy. I'm old enough where I do remember recording my original music on two inch reel, which yeah. And I go back and listen to some of these cassettes. I go back and listen. And I go, you know what? Separation ain't there digitally. It's just not. And, and it's, it's like you said, it's not It's not the separation mainly. It's the what's encapsulated in each of those frequencies that are coming mm-hmm. out on that tape. Because, you know, a, a good example is uh, Floyd, the metal album. They were, okay. they had just the ARP synthesizers had just come out. Townsend had got the first one which has all the stuff like in Bab O'Reilly and won't get fooled again. Now right, right. He's doing it in his little foyer in his house with this little thing. And that he, I actually got a chance. He by studios, right? Yeah. He, yeah, he recorded yeah. everything at home. And get, I, I heard the copies. We, I met Entwistle years ago when I was young. And my manager at the time was doing this K-Rock blood drive where he was playing with Rat Race Choir from Long Island. So I got to spend a whole weekend down in Wall Township hanging out while they were rehearsing this show. For, for I don't I think it was K Rock or one of those with, with the ox the ox was in with the ox with the ox and I got to ask him all the things that I spent my whole life imagining listening to live at Leeds saying yeah. man you know and what he told me which was amazing was that they were blown away when Pete showed up with what came what was supposed to be Lifehouse but ended up yeah. being picked apart and became Who's Next which is almost right. a perfect album but it came from yeah. forty two songs that were part he had a nervous breakdown after tommy and he couldn't yeah, he couldn't they are releasing more of that lifehouse project how about yeah. leslie west jamming with them on love ain't for keeping there's reversions of that they also i did not a, know that oh yeah and don't and baby don't you do it marvin gay that the band made big they do a version of it with keith moon playing the it's 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 hilarious it's actually funny i thought i knew but, everything who but i guess not oh no no leslie leslie was recording in the, in the same studio and uh Townsend loved Mountain, so he was like, you know, come on in, we'll jam, and they jam, they got some stuff, but then he played him some of the rough mixes, and there's some, there's takes of Won't Get Fooled Again with Leslie playing with him. Really? Yeah, Love Ain't For Keeping, where Townsend's playing the acoustic, and Leslie's playing his little Les Paul Jr., like, clean through an, you know, like, really Oh, cool. I'm gonna go listen to that. Yeah, again. listen to Baby Don't You Do It, because I'm telling you, Keith Moon's drumming is hilarious. It's, it's yeah. actually funny. He lands right on but I can I can sense the nervousness of the musicians in the room, wondering if he's gonna land on one because <laughs> so erratic. But he always did. He landed. Well, they, on- and they say that for Quadrophenia, Kenny Jones played much of that album because Keith was too drunk. And you know? he also couldn't. He could not. Um, you know, they were trying to do tape machines live. If you ever watch clips, he's got his head duct taped. He's got the headphones. And they wrap the duct tape around Keith Moon's head, and he's he's trying to follow a click because they're running the symphony tapes for Quadrophenia. They're running the yeah. synthesizers, but they got to run to a click. And Moon ain't playing to a click. I don't care if he no. hasn't drank; it's not yeah. it's, it's not his style. So there's some there's some pretty out there if you really search YouTube. There's some real uh, testing moments for the Who when you listen to the Quadrophenia tour. Them trying to do tapes. It's, yeah, that, that, you know, that, but, that's a yeah. I got to sneak, sneak in something here. Right. Dave, you need a whole other show of Sal's time with Leslie West. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh, I got, I got to play and record with Leslie West. You need a whole other show about uh, that. Did, are you recorded with him too? 
I was yeah, I was about 19 years old. Again, my manager knew him because he was always hanging out at Kramer Guitars. She was uh, the PR person for Kramer. And we were, my band at the time, we needed someone to help us, you know, get a demo together. And Leslie's like, you know what? Just, you know what, Karen, give me 500 bucks. Tell the guys to come up to Austin in New York. Because he had a studio. They, they converted a farm into a studio. Okay. And uh, we went up there and we spent a weekend with him. And we had, I got to tell you, you know, for a 19-year-old kid, and it was just, it, we had a great time. He was really a tough character because he's very, uh, he's very abrasive when he okay. talks to so, you know, I come from an Italian family, so I, I, loud voices don't, you know, I don't even flinch. I'm like, whatever. So right. he got a little nasty. And our drummer at the time, who was actually with Gene, he was our drummer for a while in Colossal. He doesn't take crap from anybody, still to this day. And right. he turned to Leslie. Leslie was like, to George, he goes, why don't you go in the other room while the musicians work on the arrangements? And my drummer was like, really? He goes, how does it feel to be a has-been? Right in his face, I go, Oh my! God. <laughs> I'm gonna get beat up by Leslie West. But, but oh it, my God! It ended up being a great weekend. He he did a great job with us. Um, we did a version of the Feeler by Free on the demo, and then coincidentally, his next solo album, he does the Feeler on his CD. I'm oh like, no! Oh, really? I'm like, that's great, Leslie. You know what? And it, it, I have some great. Well, I will one day. We'll have to talk. It's a it's a really. We had a wonderful time with him. Then he took us out to a show, and um, that weekend it was up in Poughkeepsie. I think the chance was then. I don't know if it was the chance then. It might have been another, but it was where the chance is or was. Um, right. I forgot it's who we saw. And Leslie's a, a, a rock. He's always been a rock star up there too in, in upstate New York. So right. we were at the tape, but you know, girls are coming over, and you know, Leslie signed my thigh, you know, and all this stuff. And he's got like this, you know, he's like, get out of here! I'm like, holy crap, man. I'm a 19-year-old kid. I'm like, wow. Wait, wait. So, by the way, you, you said something. You said two things, 19 and my manager. How the hell so did you, you have a manager when you were 19 years old? Well, a really funny story. I'll make it quick. Uh, the singer in my band at the time's father owned an art gallery um, in Marlboro. And okay. his uh, Kramer wanted to do an ad that was showing art with – one of their new Kramer guitars. So they, they, they asked Marty Marty if they could do it. They, Wait, hold on, hold on. So, so 19, you're talking about the split neck Kramers, right? Yes. Yeah. No, 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 way, no, no. The I'm later ones. It was the later ones. It was the later ones. It was like, it was about 80. I would say this was around 85, late 85. Okay, 86. so God, keep going. All right, all right. So they were big. They were, Kramer was, because Eddie was already well, affiliated with them. Well, they, well you they, know... That we had the great Henry Vaccaro on our show. Ah, oh, Henry. So yeah. Henry, because Henry, right, of course, because the Berardis and Henry and the Vaccaros, they were the starters of Kramer guitars. So, I know. And by well, the way, I used to own a Kramer guitar. Me too. So, well, yeah, we won. With the split that neck. With the split in, neck. We won a national Pepsi Kramer guitar national band, unsigned band contest. And okay. So to Nam in 86, 87. Okay, and so you, now you're on the new ones, the newer yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah. Up at the Kramer Guitar Show, which was the biggest show at that time. Cause oh, every, yeah. You had every, and of course, Eddie was there. I got to meet all my idols in one night, and we wow. got to play in front of, you know, Ellie, I got to hang out with Elliot Easton, Les Paul, uh, John Entwistle, uh, the guys in, in Autograph, the guys in Night Ranger. Um, uh, Scott's favorite. <laughs> I, I was I was losing my I, I and me again being I was I think I was twenty at this time. Um, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is supposed to be my life. Then this is it. I'm gonna you know. And I think about it now, and I'm like, man, if I had that chance now, I'd be blowing the doors open. You know, like I was a little punk, and but whatever it was, we got to go out there, and that's how I was able to meet so many people and do some work. Um with some really cool, you know, guys that were already famous that had a lot of experience and they were able to really kind of guide us through at a young age. So I got a little taste at a really young age and then I did, which right. they say, is it good or is it not? Well, the good thing is I realized all these people that were famous were just normal people. Even though I was yeah. shell-shocked, I saw, like, to see Les Paul and to see Eddie Van Halen sneaking up behind him and poking him in the back like a kid. Like, Eddie's acting like a kid to Les Paul, and I'm thinking, right, wow, right, this right. Is incredible. Here's, there's the, like, Eddie's, he's the master, and I'm like, no, 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 to Eddie, 
Les Paul's Les the Paul. yep, and yep, yep. student. And I'm like, oh my, and I'm picking this up. I'm seeing the the, the way they're they're tickling and playing with each other. And it was like a father-son thing. And I'm like, yeah, incredible. So it kind of hit me hard when all of a sudden that was gone. And, you know, we ended up having a falling out with our manager and the band ended up splitting up. And, you know, then I met Gene. That was about 89. And then we started Colossal back in 89. Right. Um, but I had lost all contact with all those people. And, you know, then we back on the road grinding again. But Yeah, but you know, you know what the, the, the great thing is? What, what I could tell, you two guys, and I'm pointing at my computer screen right now, <laughs> you're two happy people. We are. You're, I mean, it, it just, you exude happiness. You exude positivity. So your journey has, has created happiness. It, you has, know? it has. Yeah. It and has. Like, we're like a married couple. Sal and I, you know, we, we butt heads. But the reason why we're we are where we are, you know, and I'm not excluding the other guys, of course, but right, we right. are where we are, probably because of the way that we have to interact with each other, and yeah. it's you know we 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 end up thinking the same way. It, we yeah. may not start that way, but we always end up with the same goal, yeah. and I yeah. think um, that's pushed the band forward as well. And we do yeah. butt heads, you know, and I yeah, but I, you have to because you care. We care yeah, about what we're doing. Yeah, we care yeah. so much. And, you know, you can't always take one person's point of view. I'm always the mouthpiece. You know, okay. I've, I've been for since we started. And um, but, you know, I have I bounce things off of everybody and everybody's opinion. And Sal's the guy I usually go to first because I, I play a lot more with him because yeah, right. we do spend a lot of time together. <laughs> we play so much. We're together. I'm, I am with Gene. Honestly, we are both with each other. Definitely more than our wives. I, I oh, that's hysterical. Together. Well, we yeah. do almost 200 gigs a year together because we also, not only our original band, but we also, when we're not doing that, we play in our little cover thing. And we actually you do, do like a two-man show. Do you ever do No, no, no. We, we have an acoustic well, we do, well, we'll, We will do a duo. We could do a duo, a trio. But yeah, for yeah. the most part, it's a trio. But we will go out with a four or five-piece electric band okay. and just play. And it's all the stuff that we love. But, Grandpa yeah, all, the set, all the great company. 70s stuff. Zeppelin, yeah. you know, and, and that also yeah. helps us with, you know, being tighter and going forward with Colossal and that also too. writing because we're playing those type of songs that we love and we can incorporate it into the original stuff. And we're conditioned because, you know, we could, Gene and I, it's not, it's, it's actually very common for us to sing four and five nights a week for five, six weeks in a stretch. And I'm not talking an hour a night, two and a half, three hours a night playing guitar and singing. But I realize yeah. now if we had to go on the road and people are like, oh, you know, they're, they're big sob stories. Oh, you know what it's like on the road? I'm thinking to myself, man, we get up every day and work and gig, still do 180, 200 gigs a year. Actually, Gene does even more. He's in the 220, 230s. But when wow. you think about doing that many gigs, it's the conditioning that we've put ourselves through where I know yeah. if, we had, if we had to, if someone said, guys, I need an hour and a half a night, five nights a week for three months, me and him could do that even if we were sick. We could do it in your sleep, right? Yeah, yeah, we're conditioned. We're definitely, and we have enough of our own original music now. We could play. Oh, we could probably do a two-hour set with just our own music. Not even, we're wow. not even. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're playing three-hour sets all four nights in a row sometimes, and and yeah. you know, like, you know, how do you do it? I'm like, you know what? You just do it. It's it's, you know, people I think say that's the most common answer that I give is you just do it. You, you just do it. I'm not trying yeah. to prove anything. I can tell you this though. When the band's playing after two and a half hours, this is why bands in the old days played three and a half, four hours. That last hour, you are as warm as you're going to be as a musician. And and yeah. the chemistry is almost immediate when you're doing things, when you're playing that long together. Because now you've also figured out the stage sound with each other and you're, and you're able Ooh. to really, there's so much going on. I understand why these bands played long sets, like three hours, because it takes a while. We have a hard time, sometimes it takes a half an hour in a small club to get our ears adjusted to the sound and then feel like you're inside of the sound. Well, imagine, you know, it's Madison Square Garden. It's got to take an hour, hour and a half to, to, to really get your head in the right spot. I mean. Yeah, and, and, and like for to performance, too. I'd right. like to test out that theory. Oh, me too. I was, You know what? <laughs> I, I want to be the first of us to fall off the stage. Of the well, club. our drummer's already played Madison Square Garden, so he he's really ahead of us, yeah. Yeah. Who did he play with? He played with William's Honor when they opened up for uh, Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. But yeah, he, they gave, he wow. gave him a little slot to play, so they called Dave. And Dave's like, yeah, I'll do it. And he took yeah, a yeah, You're not saying there. no to that. 
Him yeah. sitting on the drum set. He took a great picture of the, of the garden, you know, from behind the drum set. He's like, you know, I can't believe I'm getting this picture right now. Like, for, you know, all the shows that he saw there from Kiss when he was 15 to wow. You know, and it's really, it was really cool. I was really happy for all of them. That's a, yeah. that's a great that, feat. Yeah. Yeah, He'll probably a, knock me out because I always say, I always mention this, but he played on the last Bee Gees record. He did. Did he really? He yeah. played in the session in the session for the last Bee Gees record. He's got a platinum record on his wall. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. He's a There's really some good guys in this band, man. This is yeah. a this is a, yeah. a good quality band. I mean, but it's I'm, funny because it's rock and roll. Myself. <laughs> yeah, it's rock you know, and roll. Yeah. When I look at this, when I look at the band, I just see, you know, a band that I've always wanted to be in. And I'm yeah, happy I'm here, you know. So so what so as is the case with with not only all of our shows on some level, but some of the best shows, which I would put tonight in, uh, feels like we've been chatting for five minutes. We're pushing an hour. We are pushing an hour. And wow. everyone says that because it's just people sitting around talking about rock and roll, right? Mm -hmm. So it's never boring. No, it never is. No. So as we're wrapping up right now, let's talk about first, digitally speaking, where can people find you guys? Yeah, Gene. Yeah, we're on all the streaming platforms, Spotify, yeah. Amazon Music, everything. Anything that's out there, we're on it. Yeah. Um, as far as hard copy, uh, you want to get a vinyl. We have our record on vinyl, CDs, uh, T-shirts. That's mostly at the shows. We're doing that right now. And the record, as we stated earlier, will be re-released on November 3rd, the single No Way to Live. That's exciting. And that's going to be through Threat Bar Records. And then we signed with um, Jimmy Warren Entertainment Group out of Chicago. And I was hoping to announce the booking agency that we will be with, um, but... I won't have that until the end of the week, but they have uh, some major, major acts, which is going to make it very easy for us to be able to get on the road. Okay. Last question. So, you know, for the lazy people who uh, won't want to go online, just talk to us about where, where can people physically find you, not digitally, because we're, we're going old school now. Where can they find you? Where are some of your next gigs coming? Well, out? Colossal right now has nothing in the books. And okay. that being because we just signed. Uh, we oh, clean the slate. Right. We just clean the slate of everything. Yeah. Um, November, we're supposed to go out to St. Louis mm -hmm. to kind of celebrate the signing of this uh, the deal. Okay. And then uh, December, there'll be three or four shows starting. One in the local area, we're hoping. But then when 2020-24 comes, we're going to be opening for some national acts throughout you know a couple states here and there. So oh, that is so. So the answer is stay tuned and yeah. And Scott, yeah. if you could put the um, uh, the URL or the little British thing. <laughs> there we go. So go on that. Scott's laughing at me. So the bottom line is by the time you're watching this, you'll be able to figure out um, where these guys are playing. Uh, that I, I got to tell you, this was one of those shows I, I you know, where we, we say it all. Every so often we get a show, we can go three, four hours. We're a one hour show. Um you guys are fantastic. I love your energy. Thank uh, you. I, I, ha like, I, I will tell you, through the whole interview, all I kept saying to myself is, I want to, I want to come watch you guys play. And I will. Not I want to, but I will. We'll let us know when you're going to come. You know, we're, we'll have a yeah. great night. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This was a fun show. Stay tuned on Guitar Tales. We have so much great stuff going on. And apropos of one of the things we chatted about tonight that we're promoting the hell out of, we are doing a Van Halen panel show that we're lining up, which I'm very excited about. And we're going to have dear friend of show season one, Big Daddy Abel, taking us out. I have a good you. night, everyone. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Take care, Dave. Thanks. Thank you. I'm number two. I'm number two. No, I was the second. That's right. I was the second one. The second on Guitar Tales, ladies and gentlemen. You're watching it right now. I'm Big Daddy Abel, the Amish Outlaws. I gotta go back to work. Here we go. Tails, my day.